Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. In this holiday special, let's discuss Elf. Happy holidays, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We are so excited to talk about one of our holiday favorites, John Favreau's Elf. And this is one of the most wonderful times of year. All the holidays are going off. Hanukkah started. Christmas is right around the corner. Kwanzaa is right around the corner. Whatever you're celebrating this holiday season, we're wishing you a wonderful and happy holiday with your family and loved ones. And we're wearing some ugly sweaters today if you want to watch it on Spotify or YouTube. Jim, Mine's I honestly love not that ugly. I love the Santa sweater because he is running like a marathon runner. He's got like a sh- high shorts like you like to wear. Tank also, top. Tank top fanny pack. And he's also got a, a marathon tag on his chest. It says 1225 Christmas. <laughs> and also he's eating a cookie in his mouth. His fanny pack is full of cookies. And you need that sugar, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got a glass of what looks like water. And it's really comfy and cozy. This is a wool knit sweater. I might keep it. I was going to return it on Amazon. But I mean, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'm, I might. I wonder if there's electrolytes in that water for his marathon. I'm sure. I'm surprised <laughs> it wasn't a glass of milk. It actually, it might be because it's water. It's white. Yeah, it's milk, actually. And then I got a Christmas sloth. On mine. It's pretty good. And the sloth is in a green tuxedo. (laughs) With a bow tie. So if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, I highly recommend zooming in a little bit. I I wasn't sure. I couldn't find one that I liked, and then I saw that, and I was like, this is it. It's it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, today's movie is going to be on Elf, which is just a classic now. It's entered that pantheon of holiday films that everyone kind of watches at the end of the year, which, you know, is obviously a major goal for anyone who makes a Christmas movie. I'm sure Jon Favreau is so glad that it's entered that cult status for an annual watch for many, many people who celebrate the Christmas holiday as well as people who don't. For me, Elf is always one of my favorite Christmas movies, and I, I think it takes some time for a film to, to be called a classic, and now this is a classic, which makes me feel old, but it definitely has the rewatch value of something like Home Alone, of, of something like It's a Wonderful Life, movies like that where when the holidays are around, they're the staples and that you always love to watch and make you feel like uh, the Christmas spirit, Christmas spirit's obviously a big theme in this film. And ever since it came out, I've always really loved the film. It has a terrific score. I love John Favreau's directing. It's very comedy at style directing, but also he has great creativity, especially in the Elf world with the with the use of the in live action use of uh, camera techniques to make the elves appear much smaller than Will Ferrell. And also, I love the uh, stop motion animation that we get to see in the film, the claymation. Some claymation is a major part of Christmas films. We love growing up, especially Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so to see uh, this mash of filming techniques with Will Ferrell's really amazing performance, which solidifies his solidifies his status as a leading man in comedy, uh, I think it's just a wonderful film. May I correct you on something? Sure. It's not called The Elf World. It's called The North Pole. The North Pole. Unsubscribe. The Elf World. Anthony is unsubscribed from the holidays. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Lorian. Now, Elf came out in 2003, directed by John Favreau, written by David Berenbaum. IMDb, it is a 7.0. Ron Tomatoes, it is an 85% critic score, 79% audience score on a budget of $33 million. Elf grossed $226 million at the global box office, and I'm sure it's made over a billion just on VOD sales since because this is, like I said, it's entered the pantheon of classic Christmas movies and everybody loves Elf. I don't know anyone doesn't love Elf except for people who aren't Will Ferrell fans. And there are some of them out there. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, some Will listening. Yeah, Will Ferrell fans do not like Will Ferrell. No, Non-Will Ferrell fans. Yeah. 
You said Will Ferrell fans. Oh, sorry. Don't. Sorry. Non-Will Ferrell fans really don't There's like just him. Like a, it's like 5% of the population just hates the guy's guys. I don't know. I guess that's a thing with comedians. I guess if you're a comedian, it's it, it's easy to come across as kind of annoying to a small person percentage of people. If you're not into their sense of humor. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Steve Martin has that. Eddie Murphy has that. All great comedians probably have that population that like people just not, aren't into their comedy. For me, Will Ferrell, uh, I, I would say, is the probably the funniest actor ever. It's him. I think he might be funnier than Jim Carrey. It's, it's tough, but he's definitely up there. Well, he might be besides... Well, in terms of a comedian... I'm turn, talking about comedic actor. Yeah, so a comedic actor. Yeah. Jim Carrey is a comedian, but he's really known for being a comedic actor, whereas yeah. Will Ferrell started off as a comedian. Uh, SNL obviously propelled him to household name in America, and then Elf propelled him to being a, a household name around the world and in comedy yeah. because it was his first lead movie. He was in old school. He was like venturing into Dude, Imagine movies. doing old school and then Elf. Like it's crazy. amazing. <laughs> but um, he pulled it off and this was his first leading role and solidified him as a comedy star. Like you said, and you can argue he might be the most successful comedian actor of all time. If you don't count Jim Carrey in that realm of being, because I, I always say Jim Carrey is like an actor comedian, but Will Ferrell is a comedian, comedic actor. I think they're different. Well, the thing is, you can't. So you said comedian actor earlier, because but, he comedic, got his, but comedic actor. He I got agree. his roots in. They both got the roots well, in comedy. Well, well so well, Car- Jim Carrey started off in stand up. Yeah, no, yeah. Whereas Will Ferrell just started up in improv. So I would not call Will Ferrell a comedian. I would call him a comedic actor first and foremost. Whereas Jim Carrey, you can you can call him a comedian uh, and an actor because he did so much stand up. But he he stopped doing stand up once he blew up. But he did do stand up for years, and that's where he he cut his teeth. But they all they're also very different performers. I I really, man, I love I love them both so much. It's hard to pick, uh, but that's not what this episode is about. Well, Jim, yeah. it's Jim's the answer. Jim, yeah, I think you might be right. But Jim. most successful comedians, I'm guessing it's probably Jim Carrey. Will Ferrell is a close second or third. Oh, yeah. Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy might be up there as well. But I'm sure. But I would say that Will Ferrell is the most successful. SNL graduate of all time Definitely. for sure. That's not even close. And I'm talking about a regular cast member. I'm not talking about someone who's like Robert Downey Jr. who was on like four episodes oh. or people who had short stints on SNL, but I'm yeah. talking an SNL regular and SNL star turned movie star. He's kind of the last one. Him and Kristen Wiig is, you know, she's a movie star as well, but I, th- I think they're like the last two SNL movie stars. And I, I remember- You're missing one. Uh, who? Um, the Sandman. Oh, the Sandman. Sandman. Okay, Sandman, sorry. Sandman might be number one. Oh, right, yeah, and there's so many more on Chris yeah. Rock, but what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the SNL movie star is yeah. kind of over. It's been over for about 15 years ever since Will left and Amy Poehler left and Tina Fey and Kristen Wiig and, and, and Bill Hader since they all left even though a couple of them are really only considered movie stars some of them have are stars but I mean like a Will Ferrell's a movie star yeah they've become TV stars yes um, Bill Hader has rarely he did some t- film work but he really gravitated towards TV and now he has his show Barry uh, Andy Samberg did some film but now he's he's found his show with Brooklyn Nine-Nine Kristen Wiig uh, she's still sticking around with TV, she, uh, with film. She's, she, I mean, she was just a villain in Wonder Woman 3. So I would say Kristen Wiig, like you said. Wonder Woman 2. 2, sorry. Kristen Wiig, like you said, is probably the last SNL cast member to really maintain the movie star status. It's, it's kind of dead because yeah. it's, it's weird because it used to be normal. Like an SNL cast member would be a star on the show for five to ten years. Then they go off into movies and have a very successful movie career that happened so much in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. But it seems like it's kind of disappeared. And I'm not sure why because I guess less people are watching SNL and it's changed so much. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of weird that it just it sort of ended where SNL cast members, unless I'm forgetting somebody, haven't really gravitated to being movie stars 
since being on SNL and leaving the show. I agree. It hasn't happened like that since it used to. But uh, Will Ferrell, I would say, is the greatest SNL cast member. And many of his sketches were are some of the best ones. And uh, he has this innate ability to, in a lot of ways, and in this Elf performance is an example of this, this fearless performance of just putting it all out there. Yeah, it's fearless. Um, yeah, it is because you're... <laughs> Those tights. Yeah, just being just ridiculous. But you have, for, for something like Elf to work, for the performance to really work, and just like his sketches, because some of, some of them are just so ridiculous, uh, you, you just have to commit to, your, to yourself to it completely and give yourself up to it, not feel insecure, not feel silly, and just go full tilt on it. And Will Ferrell is one of those comedic actors that can do that. And that's why the film works, because... This performance is the heart of the movie, but also is the driving force of comedy for the movie. And he adds so much comedy just from his performance. So many other actors, I think, would not have been able to do what Will Ferrell did in such a way to come off as uh, happy-go-lucky. He has this happy-go-lucky, endless positivity, fish-out-of-water silliness. Uh, he has a childlike performance to him where just the way he interacts with people, like in the doctor's office, he, he plays it perfectly where he's just excited about everything and the way he looks around. And then when John Favreau, the doctor, gets tense with him, he's like, he goes to his eyes, like, he, he got mad. Yeah, he he's got angry. mad. He's angry. <laughs> <laughs> but just the way that he looks and performs and, and just uses his physicality, he's so talented as a physical performer. And he, he tapped into uh, this like kind of child physicality for Buddy the Elf, which really works and really makes the movie, because it's, he's grown up, he's, he's, he's in his 40s. Well, he's supposed to be 30. Yeah, he's, he's in his 40s. <laughs> but the childlike physicality of him makes everyone relate to him. Like that little girl in the waiting room at the doctor's office, she's a grown up, but she instantly, immediately talks to him like he's like another kid, you know what I mean? I mean he gives off that energy the entire film. Yeah, the, the kid energy, for Which sure. also kind of makes it weird. Just with yeah. Jovi, it's kind of yeah, weird. with Jovi, it's yeah. like, does she have like a kid fetish? We'll get, into, <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit. There's a lot of red flags that Jovi should have been like aware of, but she's kind of just, <laughs> they're just flying past. There's so many red flags that they're just smashing her in the face, actually. <laughs> also, I'm surprised that the low IMDb rating is 7. Yeah, 7.0. I think this movie is really great. I'm telling you yeah. that 5% of haters who hate Will Ferrell, they're coming <laughs> they really hate him. Now, a little background on the movie. The story idea came from Stephen, uh, screenwriter David Berenbaum. It's his first ever script. Now, Berenbaum was actually raised Jewish, but his family always celebrated Christmas. And he was a huge fan of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which came out in 19... Actually, I'm not going to say what year it came out because that's my pop quiz question. Ah. Of of which Elf pays much I'm pretty sure it's old. To. It's pretty old. Yeah. And uh, Berenbaum's father died when he was a child, so he actually made the story in this movie as a, as a way of a character trying to discover their father, kind of to, to deal with that in his own life because he lost him at such a young age, so he didn't really know his father, especially when he grew up as an adult. And now John Favreau, who directed this movie, you all know, is now just a super well-known director versus just being the guy who made Swingers because, <laughs> you know, he made Elf as well as Iron Man and he's done a bunch of Disney movies. He did the, the Jungle Book, The New Lion King. He does The Mandalorian show running. So he's, he's a terrific filmmaker, but this was really the movie that got him, like, big projects, especially after this, he did Iron Man. So it was, so the first film he directed was Made, which was the second film he made with Vince Vaughn made, after Swingers. The title of the movie. Yeah, Made. Yes, sorry, that could be confusing. <laughs> so Swingers, he wrote. He and Vince Vaughn, who are old friends, they starred in it, and they had a different director. It was actually a pretty well-known director. And then he directed he directed Made, which also starred them too. And then he got Elf. And then after Elf, he made Zathura, which is a family sci-fi adventure film. 
And that's, I think, what really got him the Iron Man job because Zathura has a lot of CGI and a lot of action. And Kristen Stewart stars in it, actually. And so I think that he proved his chops with that uh, to Marvel Studios. And then Kevin Feige felt comfortable hiring him for Iron Man because of how well he did directing Zathura. I forgot he made Zathura. Yeah. Now, I have a quote from Favreau about how he came to the process of directing Elf besides that information from Anthony. So, this is a quote from Favreau from The Rolling Stone. I had worked with Judd Apatow, who had nothing to do with Elf when I directed an episode of Undeclared and worked on a pilot that get, didn't get picked up. When I was working with him, his manager, who also managed Will Farrell, sent me a copy of the screenplay of Elf. I had already directed Made, and people knew me from Swingers, which is what we're just talking about. <laughs> You're so money, baby. You know, you're so money, you don't even know how money you are. I took a look at the script, and I wasn't particularly interested. It was a much darker version of the film than what I made. I liked the notion of being involved with Will Ferrell in his first solo movie after SNL, but it wasn't quite there. I was asked to take another look at it. They were looking for somebody to rewrite, rewrite it and possibly direct it, and I remember reading it, and it clicked. If I made the world that he was from as though he grew up as an elf in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, one of those Rankin-Bass Christmas specials when I grew up on, then everything fell into place tonally, so for a year, I rewrote the script. It turned into more of a PG movie from PG-13. I kind of want to look at that PG-13 yeah. dark movie. And he was a darker character in the script I had read originally. The character became a bit more innocent, and the world became more of a pastiche of the Rankin-Bass films. The studio, New Line Cinema, read it and agreed to make it, and that's when I was brought on to direct. And actually, this is New Line Cinema before it merged with Warner Brothers back in 2008 because they had the huge box office disappointment of The Golden Compass in 2007 where it put in over $180 million into development on that movie, and it grossed only $70 million in the United States market. And so then they merged with Warner Bros. because they both were owned by Turner. Time, Time Warner? Turner. Turner. So Turner is what used to own, I believe, before Warner Bros. Discovery became uh-huh. a thing. It used to be Turner. Oh, okay. So Turner like had like the cable company and everything uh-huh. like that, too. So that's really interesting. And also, how come there's never a sequel to Elf? I'll tell you why. I have it right here, too. Okay. <laughs> I have another because Yeah, we both did our research. I have, another, I have a quote from uh, James, James Can. Yeah. <laughs> so I know this quote. Why was there no sequel to Elf? They set it up perfectly for a sequel. Why not, why not continue the story if it was so successful? During the interview with the Bull and Fox show on Cleveland's 92.3 FM radio station, James Can said, We were going to do it, and I thought, Oh my God, I finally have a franchise movie. I can make some money. Let my kids do what the hell they want to do. <laughs> But he must not have had a great deal with the oh, Godfather. But also, you got to remember, actors didn't make what they do now back then. And plus, he's only in one Godfather movie. Yeah. And But he said the sequel never made it to production because the director and Will didn't get along very well. Will wanted to do it, and he didn't want the director, so he didn't want John Favreau to do it. But Can said that Favreau had it in his contract that he had to do the sequel to Elf, and they so they couldn't do it without him. So basically, it just never fell through because Will Ferrell didn't want to work with John Favreau again. And however, in public, Will Ferrell has continually shut down the idea of a second Elf movie. In 2006, he told The Observer he turned down $29 million to star in an Elf sequel. In 2013, Will Ferrell reaffirmed his decision to people saying he would not make another Elf movie movie because he would look slightly pathetic if he tried to squeeze back into his Elf tights. <laughs> wow, he must really not like John Favreau to turn down $29 million. <laughs> that's what I mean. He's a very successful guy. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Wow. So... I love that point that Favreau makes, uh, revealing that deciding to emulate those old claymation films really made sense for him with finding the tone of the film because 
the first 30 minutes of this movie is an absolute delight. And it's just fantastic. And the tone really is pitch perfect because of the, the, the first act of the film where we're in the North Pole and the world they crafted, it's so simple. And you know, you, you, you can tell it's made in a studio. They're not hiding the background. You know, the sky ends, the horizon line is like only like 20 feet behind it's Will Ferrell. a matte painting. Yeah, and but still you accept it because it feels like one of those claymation films. And it has the music, but it has the charm. I love the design of the North Pole. Uh, they did a terrific job crafting the, the, the film. And I like especially the architecture of uh, all the North Pole homes, how it's like this wood but painted white because it allows the colorful costumes to really pop on screen. And then using the incredible force perspective filmmaking of seamlessly providing the illusion that Will Ferrell is a monstrous adult human compared to the elves. And it's all in camera. It really makes a difference when uh, both actors can share the screen together. Especially, I love the classroom shot because it's just it's a pan. And Favreau pans from the class of kids to Will Ferrell and, and both he and that young actress nod to each other. But on in real, reality, they're probably 20 feet away from each other in order to get that forced perspective to work. And they did a marvelous job crafting uh, the first act of the film. And it does kind of make me miss it when we're in New York because it is so magical and so fun and, and so just inviting. Uh, and it, I really think that the introduction of the North Pole really made the movie special. Well, Favreau actually designed the North Pole and Santa's workshop as well as the elf uniforms forms directly from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. The elf uniforms completely mirror the ones from the television special. Most of the animals in the North Pole are also designed to look like the same form of stop-motion animation used in Rudolph, just like the snowman that he talks to as well. Now, Force Perspective, basically the way they do that, like Anthony said, is they have either uh, very long set and they they place the actors who are supposed to be elves further away from Will Ferrell, who's much closer to frame, much closer to camera, and then a little trick with the zooming in and the size of the set, make it seem like they're next to each other, like he's his desk is next to the kids' desks or the other elves' desk, but in reality, it's about 10 to 20 feet away from those desks. And also, those long table shots, those are super long sets, some sets built back-to-back to extend it, a room that's not really, visually, when we're watching, it doesn't look like a long room. It looks like maybe 15 feet long, but really, it's probably 30, maybe 50 feet long to get that force perspective to make the walls not look that that long when in reality they're very long but on screen they look pretty short and it's actually really creative it's practical and it still works wonders because it's not cgi it looks real because it is real there are some imperfections here and there but that's what brings some of that authenticity to it it makes it look so good and it's timeless yeah in the long lenses they crush the space so it's, that's what makes it all seem like it's not like the tables aren't as long as they really are in reality. And the long lens basically means it's like it's basically like zoomed in from a, like a wide uh, length of a lens. And it's also very complicated because the timing has to be perfect. You have uh, Will Ferrell interacting with the other actors in the same shot, and say an elf actor is probably ten feet away from him, behind him at least. But they're both supposed to be looking at each other and make it seem as though they're looking at each other while standing next to each other. So the timing is really precise on that, and also. Uh, you you would need a lot of light so that both actors 
are in focus with the longer lens, which is pretty difficult. This, using a longer lens, you're likely to get, you know, the, the subject is in focus, but in the background will be a little blurry and out of focus. And so the only way to, to combat that is to use a lot of light in the set. That way, the higher, the more light you have, the higher f-stop you have, the less light that comes into the camera with the higher aperture means that more things are in focus in the, in the image. So it's very complicated filmmaking. It's very simple, but it is quite precise. And I think they did a standout job. It's really seamless in a lot of ways. There are, like you said, a couple of moments where you oh, you can see that they're clearly not standing next to each other. But you only see that on repeat viewings. And if you know the imagery so well. And I also think it adds character to the movie. Some other things they did for camera tricks or body double tricks is they would use actual little kids if their face isn't being shown. Like I think Will Ferrell, fall, I mean Buddy falls on top of yeah. either Papa Elf or some other elf. And what they did was just switch to, they put a little kid beneath Will Ferrell like under a box and the, their arms and legs are flailing. It looks like little children <laughs> arms and legs as well as when he's a he's like a teenager and he's riding that tricycle and Papa Elf is on his back. A shot like that they, they cleverly did practically. It's not forced perspective, but what they have is the camera up front on the kid in the front on the tricycle who's who's steering the way playing the buddy. human kid yeah <laughs> he's a human he's yeah. playing young buddy it's not like he's much taller than the pop elf character but they're using a, a wide lens close up so he's larger in the frame in, in the perspective to the lens for this for the frame yeah, of the, the shot the closer subject to the lens will be much larger for a wide yeah. shot and then there's they're actually it's not a bike it's a cart that they're standing on and about four or five feet behind that boy is papa elf's character that older guy the older actor who plays Papa the Elf. old guy. <laughs> and then in between them is a is a child whose hands are on top of Buddy the Elf's shoulders. So it looks like Papa Elf has tiny hands on top of this human boy's shoulders. And his head's poking out. And he's po his head's poking out, but he's really like five feet behind Buddy the Elf. A great practical way to create force perspective in a simple shot, but to show that, you know, he's really a, a human boy and, and have humans play these characters because, you know, yeah. elves don't exist. So it's, you can't. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> and uh, some of, I think some of the funniest bits of the movie are the flashbacks to Will Ferrell, to Buddy realizing that he's a human. He's like showering in the tiny shower. <laughs> like the warp. Yeah. <laughs> the warped lens. The and lens then, is like. And then trying to sleep on two beds and he's still gigantic on it. It's so funny. <laughs> There's so much to talk about with this movie, too. And I, I think that, you know, we've been talking about Will, we've been talking about. Um, Favreau, but I think James Caan is phenomenal in this movie. You know, he's he's from The Godfather. He's a tough guy. He's he's in Thief. He's he's always played like hard nosed guys as well as some vulnerable characters. But to have him be in a movie like this is just such a delight and such a treat for such a talented actor to take on a role for this. I'm sure it's a good paycheck as well, and I'm sure his kids and grandkids probably enjoy the hell of that of the fact that he's in it. But for him to you know take this role seriously and actually make it, I know that on set he was embarrassed by the name of the movie being called Elf, and he kept asking John Favreau like, "Hey, so so why are we call it Elf? Like, why are we calling it Elf? Why don't we, why don't we call it something else?" So he's probably embarrassed by the title. But I think that eventually he probably understood that you know it's a Christmas movie and how yeah. great it came out. It's just so fun to get tough guy James Caan in this movie as Walter Hobbs, Buddy's real father. That tough guy insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> Let's although, change the name. Although I will say, you know, Walter Hobbs is a great character. He goes through the most transformation in this entire film than anybody. Um, I feel bad for Papa Elf because Papa Elf is Buddy's yeah, dad. You know, yeah. even though biologically Walter Hobbs is Buddy's father, and it's great that they reconnect and, and you know they ha or they connect, not reconnect because they yeah. never met before. They connect and they build a relationship. Papa Elf is really Buddy's dad. He raised him yeah. for thirty years, and we do get that ending where he visits Papa Elf, but it's only visits, and it's like I do feel bad when when he leaves Papa Elf because. 
he's the guy has spent his thirty years raising him, and now he's running away to this to the real father. It is kind of tragic for uh, Papa Elf's perspective. But also Mary Steenberg, Oscar winner, is also in this film too, and she's terrific. And she actually worked um, multiple times with Will Ferrell. He cast her in Step Brothers, so yeah. I'm sure they had a great working relationship on this, which is why she was cast in with Step Brothers. She's Brendan's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We gotta do Step Brothers someday. That yeah. entire episode would just be us quoting. Step Brothers would be a great episode. Now I do have a, a few other issues with this movie. That's here, man. I love it. It's yeah. so fun. To oh watch. yeah, but we want your we want your real. However, take. two things. One thing I brought up in our Christmas movie bracket episode that we did on Monday which was a lot of fun with Anthony DeMeo such, such a blast thanks for coming on the show DeMeo and being such a great patron and fan and friend of the show um, I talked about how the third act of Elf loses me it mm. really just kind of gets a little slow once Buddy runs away and then you know Santa Claus's sleigh crashes in New York City in the park and I just kind of get I'm like yawning and I'm like forcing myself to get through because there's some some scenes that are just like not very interesting and just kind of slow the movie down a lot. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like this when they watch this movie because I feel like ever since like the first couple times I watched it, I watched it all the way through. But whenever I watch Elf now, I never finish it. I, uh, I yeah. always walk away and like go to bed. I can tell. I think I have a theory of why. Uh, the probably probably the reason why is because this movie is basically structured as. One very long first act and then a very short um, second and third act. That's a really great point. So what happens is the conflict of the third act, with Santa crashing in in, uh, in Central Park and then uh, them with Buddy and the others gathering enough Christmas spirit to save the day, that conflict is completely unrelated to the entire first hour and a half of the movie. It's just hinted. Yeah. Hinted at in the beginning. Um, and so since that conflict's not related to the story... It, it can lose you. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, this here's just like a new story. And it doesn't have anything to do with the conflict of Buddy and his father. So that's probably why it kind of feels like it's like a different movie in a, in a little in a little bit of a way. You know and, what I mean? And I know we're analyzing a little bit too much. It's just a Christmas movie. This is yeah. what we do. This is what yeah, we do. Hey, hey. So like really, exactly. The conflict for the most of the movie is the relationship with his father, trying to connect with him and trying to be accepted into Walter yeah. Hobbs' life, get him to like him. And then, you know, the antagonist of the movie, it's kind of non-existent. It's really, you could say, Christmas spirit. The lack of Christmas spirit yeah. becomes the antagonist of the film. It's, then, cor- it's corporations, man. Yeah, the corporations, <laughs> man. And then also, you could say the Central Park Rangers are kind of an antagonist in the third act of the film <laughs> yeah. coming after Santa Claus. But I think that, you know, the lack of a straight-up antagonist or, or an opposing force consistently throughout the film, it just changes from the conflict with the father like, where is the conflict coming from on the overall plot of the film? Because it kind of just, like, the third act of the film is just a plot that really, like you said, had nothing to do with the first hour of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe the movie could be stronger with if it had a, a, a prota- an antagonist to offset the protagonist from start to finish. Like an evil elf? An evil elf <laughs> trying to catch Buddy or some reason. I don't know. Maybe that could be too It's cheap. just a holiday movie, yeah, so it's not that too deep. much. We get it, but this is what... No, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's still one of my I, favorite Christmas movies. I just movies. never finished yeah. it. I never finished Elf anymore. Yeah. I actually... I forced myself to this time. Yeah. Did you finish it all? I finished yeah. it all the way through. Nice, like, man. I always forgot that they had a kid at the end, and I brought yeah. it up on an episode once, and someone wrote, did you not remember that? Did you not see the end of the movie where they have a baby? Unsubscribe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jovi loves Buddy. <laughs> it's very so Jovi and Buddy it is very sweet um, and Will Ferrell he plays this you know innocent naive guy 
And at first she's threatened by him because he's approaching her in a way that she makes her feel extremely uncomfortable. Like in the in the woman's bathroom and just walking up to her and she thinks he's just some creep hitting on her. But it takes her some time to realize he's he's just different and he doesn't really get the norms of, of society, social norms of, of society. And then society. She, society. Then she warms up to him and then ends up falling in love with him. But it is funny. Who, he, she falls in love with a, a, a man who acts yeah. like a nine year old. Yeah. <laughs> we were watching it last last night. It was like we were like, it is kind of weird, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the way he speaks to her is always like like a child, and it's like, is this really working for her? The weirdest moment for me for I think she should like walk away right away is obviously he like thinks he works at Gimbal's and they think mm-hmm. he works there because he's wearing the elf costume. And uh, his manager. Don't worry about the payroll. Don't worry about payroll. Get over here. Get over here. What are you doing over here? Get over here. And then he gets fired, obviously, because of having the fight with the fake Santa Claus and (laughs) destroying everything, which they had to do in one take because they didn't have enough time to do everything. So they had one take to get that destruction of the entire mall sequence right Uh there, which is so fun. Uh, But next time you watch, you realize they only did it in one shot. Well, they they got the footage. Good for them. Multicam, obviously. But um, so he gets fired. Then he comes back the next day. And she's like, hey, what are you doing here? Didn't you get fired? But he's in the elf costume still. <laughs> Shouldn't she be like, this, this is, is, this is kind of weird. <laughs> that, you're right. I never put that together. He's Shouldn't still in the costume. Shouldn't you be like, you're still in a costume? Like, you don't work here. Like, where are you yeah. blue jeans at? And I get it. We're nitpicking and we're, we're being fun. But it's fun to talk about because yeah, it, we're, it's just, a little, we're just having fun. It's a yeah. little odd. Yeah, you're it's right. It's a little odd. In, right. in addition to the way he acts and talks because he's so innocent, naive, and sweet. But is his naivety at, to a fault for a viewer? I think for older audiences, yes, sometimes. You're like, this is a bit much sometimes, guys. Like, <laughs> but it's a movie made for kids. Yeah. yeah. I know, but if I was a if I was Jovi, there'd be so many red flags. But I get it; it's a it's a fun Christmas. But movie. I never put that together. You're totally right. That that's the biggest red flag because every other scene he's wearing the costume, it, it makes sense because she thinks he works there, just like her. She's he's dressed up in the elf costume. But for him to be no longer working there and show up in the elf costume, that's definitely a big red flag. But it's really sweet, you know, when yeah. they go eat food. You know, the code. The code. <laughs> he takes her to the coffee place. <laughs> this movie gives, like, unrealistic expectations for how to talk to women. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, who knows? I've never tried the elf the costume code, before. The code line? You want to go... Well, I mean, every time I've asked a girl if they want to go eat food, they're like, yeah, let's go eat food. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun. Uh, I love eating food. I do love eating... It's sweet, you yeah. know. She, he shows her the world's best cup of coffee. She's like, it tastes like a crappy cup of coffee. <laughs> it is a crappy cup of coffee. No, it's the world's best cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You did it congratulations world's, world's best cup of coffee <laughs> way to go it's good to meet you all and then uh <laughs> <laughs> it's sweet you know he shows her that christmas tree that he loves inside the store then she's like i'll show you a better one she uh-huh. shows him the one in and uh in front of the in the empire state building which is huge and everything i believe that's 30 rock the 30 rock one. Oh yeah the 30 yeah. rock one at uh yeah right that's the i think that's the tree at 30 rock yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's a sweet moment. You know, he kisses her on the cheek. She's like, you missed. What do you mean? You missed. And then she pulls him in for a real smooch. Great classic, you know, Hollywood filmmaking. You know, a love story. It is. I got to say, it's weird seeing Zoe blonde and without bangs. It's before she was famous. Yeah, because she was in another movie, too. I can't remember what. Like a teen comedy. And also had the just her natural. I think it's natural. She's natural blonde. Maybe not. But it, she just she, she looks so different without the bangs. Bangs really do add a lot to someone's look. You know and what I mean? The thing with the bangs, though, I feel like if you're an actor, actress, and you have bangs, kind of got to stick with that look for your yes whole life. Yes or no, yeah. Because Either. she recently cut her bangs, or uh-huh. didn't cut them, but she grew them out, and now uh-huh. she has like a normal kind of haircut minus the bangs. Not saying that 
bangs aren't normal. I'm just saying. Now she has just her hair's even, all yeah even it's like, all long yeah people are like who is it? Like, oh my god it's Zoe Deschanel with uh-huh. Elle Banks I didn't recognize her for a second yeah I feel like the bangs are just synonymous with her now she kind of like it it looks like a different she looks like a different person without bangs yeah but uh, she still looks great yeah but but it, the bangs it, but it throws her. me off without the bangs, the bangs and the, and the, with the blonde hair and the, again this is before she was well known before she was a famous actress and singer and John Favreau didn't even know that she could sing and then uh-huh. she sang I think on set one time or she he found out that she could sing he ended up writing those bits about her singing like in the shower and stuff into the movie after finding out that Zoe could sing and even that the third act where she sings as well like in public for the first time because she's gotten rid of her fear she's got her Christmas spirit that was added to the script as well it adds so much heart to the story I think as well with Zoe, with uh, Jovi singing and it brings that Christmas spirit alive I think for an audience to hear uh-huh. her beautiful singing oh, I love that That's a, that, John Fraud was a great on the spot writer because we've said before Iron Man was written like on the fly while they were filming and he, he's, he wrote the two movies he starred in the indie films that catapulted his career with Swingers and Made he wrote them uh, and I always have a respect for uh, actors who write, not only write, but write well. And he's he's a very talented guy. There's a reason why he is so successful. And even though he was a pretty successfully decent actor, he's he is a much better filmmaker than he is an actor. And I, I, I love his impact on uh, uh, studio cinema. Completely agree. How about we head on oh, into yeah. our festive intermission and then we'll get back to Elf. Let's do it. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We have five different tiers, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tiers. That's only four tiers, isn't it? I did my math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Being a patron is the very best way to support our show. It keeps the light on, lights on, keeps the rent paid, so thank you so much to our patrons around the world. Also, be sure to get tickets to our live show in Los Angeles on Saturday, January 21st, 2023. You can get in-person tickets at DynastyTypewriter.com. Go on their calendar, hit up January 21st, you'll find our show, or go to the Instagram bio that we have a link for all the tickets, as well as you can get digital broadcast live stream tickets from moment.co slash Raiders of the Lost, where you can watch the live show as it's happening live around the world. We scheduled it for noon Pacific time in California so that in the UK it's 8 p.m., Australia at 7 a.m., so everyone has an opportunity to watch this show. This episode is sponsored by MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show in their poster library. So if you're looking for a gift for a friend or a loved one who loves movies, a great gift for them would be a movie poster. And the best place to get that, of course, is at MoviePosters.com. They also have all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for poster needs. So this holiday season, be sure to go to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. And thank you to Blackmagic Design for two of their incredible cinema cameras, the G2 6K Pocket Cinema Cameras. They are phenomenal. We have two that we're filming with with our show from now on, and they're incredible because they work with EF mount lenses and also photography lenses and cinema lenses. They're shockingly affordable for independent cinema and videographers and, and creators. Highly recommend their 6K Pocket cameras we also used it for some pickup shots for our short film because it is an extremely high quality 6k footage let's move into our intermission and start with our movie quote competition you ready pal ready 
You say you hate Washington's birthday or Thanksgiving and nobody cares, but you hate Christmas and people treat you like you're a leper. It's going to be Scrooged. No. I, f- I thought you'd get this. You watched it recently. Did I? Yeah. Say it again. You say you hate Washington's birthday or Thanksgiving and nobody cares, but you say you hate Christmas and people treat you like a leper. I, s- I watched this recently. You told me unless you lied. I don't know. Gremlins. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Got me, man. Got him. I did watch it recently, but yeah, that quote flew over my head. Good one. All right, here's mine. Listen, you effers, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the C-words, the dogs, the filth, the shit. Here's a man who stood up. <laughs> I, I mean, what is that? It's not Taxi Driver. It's almost like in the voice of Travis Bickle. I don't know. It is Taxi Driver. Oh, he's a Taxi Driver? <laughs> yeah, I try oh, to do man. like that monotone uh, yeah. disconnect. Yeah, I haven't seen Taxi Driver in a while, but yeah. All right, that's definitely it. It's very Christmassy. <laughs> Guess this movie release year. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's definitely old. It's definitely old. I'm going 1968. 64. Ooh, nice. That is a very old movie. Wicked old. Still still works, man. It still plays, man. Nose plays. Nose plays. All right. Guess this movie release year. I just went so dark, I realized. Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, this is 21st century, right? Yeah, it's 2000, 2004. 1988. 1988. <laughs> it's way off. It definitely isn't this century. Couldn't be further off. <laughs> Not this century. All right, movie pop quiz time. In Home Alone, where does Kevin's family go for Christmas? It's in Europe. I'm going to go Paris. Yes. Paris, yeah. Bing, 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 bing. All right. Okay, here's my quiz question. Zoe Zaldana starred in what Britney Spears movie? Oh, it's the road trip one. What yeah. the fuck's it called? Um, <laughs> she actually is like one of the friends. Um, freaking driving away. <laughs> I don't know. Crossroads. Crossroads. That's it. She's she. I couldn't believe it. I looked it up, and she's she's one of the the best friends that she travels with. It's like a trio of girls, and she's. I was like, I you gotta watch it again now. It's amazing. <laughs> All right, who we got for haters this week or unsubscribed? We have, an unsu- we have one unsubscribed because <clears throat> we just filmed, so we went through them earlier. Okay, this is uh, from our friend Jen. Redline, JFC, it's for it's the Freedom Trail unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said it's a red line. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then I said the Freedom Trail, but I said it's a red line that runs throughout the city because uh-huh. it is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a piece of, it's a, someone took a paintbrush. Okay, paintbrush, I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but she still got you. She yeah. also said your memory was clearly departed in this moment. <laughs> well, clearly, Jen, you should take a step on the Freedom Trail. It is a giant red line. No, JK, we love you, Jen. JK, love we you. love you, Jen. <laughs> she actually is a producer on the film. It's true. Yeah. Jen's the best. All right, that's it for our unsubscribes. All right, we have a great five-star review from a random person. They don't have their name. Awesome show. Been listening to your show for a couple weeks now. I can confidently say I've quickly become a near-daily listener. I truly ast- I'm truly, truly astounded at the length and volume of podcasts you guys can produce while still keeping the quality so high. So thank you very much for all the incredibly hard work that goes into the podcast. 
Thank wow. you so much. That sentence right there touched me because we do put a lot of work into this show. That being said, you did an entire trilogies podcast so close to Christmas with no mention of Tim Allen's The Santa Claus Trilogy. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen the third one with Martin Short. Have I haven't you? either. No. Have you? Yeah, I haven't but, seen but that. But thank you so much. It's a really sweet message. We do put a lot of work into this and it's shocking, I think. I don't, I, I'm shocked when people have time to listen to everything we put out every week. When other podcasters tell us how much stuff we have and are, are amazed at how, how much content we have then it's that's like oh okay we really are putting out a lot yeah, it's a lot of work especially because we do video yeah. and everything but thank you for the five star review it's very sweet appreciate it appreciate it um on this day in film history today is december 22nd in 1932 the mummy was released as the first mummy horror movie in the u.s in 1967 the graduate premiered in 1993 big year big day for movies listen up 1993 philadelphia came out 1999, Any Any Given Sunday and Man on the Moon were released. In 2000, Castaway is released. Big day for uh, Tom Hanks, clearly. Yeah, right. In 2004, Meet the Fockers and Hotel Rwanda are released. In 2006, We Are Marshall and Night at the Museum are released. In 2010, True Grit is released. In 2016, Passengers is released. In 2017, Pitch Perfect 3, Downsizing, The Post, and Hostels are released. In 2021, The King's Man is released. And happy birthday to Ray Fiennes. Happy birthday, Rafe. I love you. Happy birthday, pal. We have a Godfather shout-out. Chandler. Chandler. Chandler the man. Chand is the man. Thank you so much for being a Godfather patron. It means the world to us. You keep the lights on for the show. You also get your own personal watch party. I mean, your own episode. What what the Chandler recommend? Chandler asked us to rank Lucasfilm movies. Oh, okay, cool. Which is a lot of really good movies because you get the Indiana Jones movies are in there too. Yeah, technically now. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the uh, always Lucasfilm production. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now this this guy. Do you own a movie podcast or what? <laughs> but Chandler, thank <laughs> you, you so George Lucas. <laughs> thank you so much for being a Godfather patron. You're always interacting with us online and on the Discord, and we're happy to see you at the watch parties every once in a while. So thank you so much for supporting us. All right, moving on. Moving on to movie recommendation. Yeah. Streaming recommendation. Yeah. I forgot to do streaming. Don't worry, I got a good one. Yeah, what do you got? Banshees of Inisherin is now on HBO Max. This is why James and I, we think this is one of the best films of the year. It's Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and an amazing story. Terrific writing and directing from Martin McDonough. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't do well at the box office, which is why it's already out on streaming. But I couldn't recommend it enough. It's definitely worth the watch. Make it the next thing you watch as a film. The Banshees of Inisherin on HBO Max. What's freaking wrong with you? you you're freaking okay? <laughs> what the what the feck is wrong with the you? Feck. <laughs> what the feck? All right, moving on back into our episode on Elf. Now, there are a couple other things I want to nitpick about this movie. Let's hear it. I, I know everyone might be a little mad at me after this, but listen. Well, it's a 7 on IMDb, so I'm sure there will be some people that agree with you. Elf has the least jolly Santa Claus of all time. <laughs> this guy sounds like he rips butts in the back of the workshop all day or smoking cigars. I like he's, it's funny, but it doesn't really always fit the Christmas movie vibe every time he's on screen. He's kind of like dismissive and cold. But I do like when he turns around with the crowbars like, get away from me, champ. <laughs> like, chump. Yeah, at the park. Yeah. He seems like he's been through it. Like, yeah. I've been through the ringer a few times. I think that's what they're going for. Like, this is an aged Santa Claus. He's been delivering presents all over the world. He's yeah. he's old. He's like, yeah, I'm almost, it's almost time to retire. Getting too old for this shit. He's saving up for retirement. That's what I feel like from the Santa. He's not very jolly. It fits, I think, but I just don't love it. He seems like he buys boxes of cigarettes at, at Costco in bulk. Santa Claus is smoking <laughs> smoking Marlboro Reds every, every holiday season. He certainly looks the part. 
He does. He yeah. looks like Santa, but I, I agree with you. I, I would say it's a it's a lower on the tier for Santa performances. Also, one final thing to nitpick: the elves should unionize in the North Pole. <laughs> listen, listen. Santa gets back from delivering presents in the first act of this film. This is when Buddy, as a baby, sneaks into his sack of magic of magic in uh, boxes and presents. That sounds like a kidnapping <laughs> scheme. <laughs> Come on, little boy. I got some presents for so, you. So he gets back. And he's like, oh, it was a successful Christmas, another holiday. Now let's get back to work on making more toys. <laughs> These elves didn't even get a day off all year. They're going back to making toys. And he has them brainwashed that they should love making toys <laughs> and make toys 24-7. They got to unionize. They got to get together. They got to find a leader and band together and get some rights. Four day work week. Four days. Five, at least get a weekend off. <laughs> I think that they're pulling doubles. We, we were joking about that uh, last time when we watched it. Like, damn, they don't even get a day off. <laughs> but I think that elves, elf culture, in the North Pole, they love making toys. It's like what they this like what they're built for. It's what Santa has brainwashed them into <laughs> believing. I think they get a lot of uh, satisfaction out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which no, is why they're able it. to do that. No, but I love your take. I'm just trying. <laughs> Which is why Buddy can't... He doesn't enjoy it. He's not great at making... He's, he's, no, he's, yeah. he's excellent. He's amazing at, at it. But he's not close to it. He made 89 Etch-A-Sketches in like, one day. All right, how many did you make today? Uh, 85. And everyone drops their stuff. And when he, 950 below When he quota. opens up the... Th- yeah, he's like 915. Um, but yeah, I feel bad for these elves sometimes because they are just working their butts off. But they love it. They love it. But they have some great jokes where, yeah. like, I, lo- I love the lore jokes. There's yeah. three different kinds of elves. The elves who make shoes for the cobbler who's asleep at night. Like, lazy bum. And then you can also uh, cook cookies in a tree, the Toll House cookies, which is not a smart idea to do. And then you can also go to the show. The The big game is making toys in Santa's workshop, which is really cool. I also love the four food groups for elves where we have candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. And also... Um, a little more lore. Like elves love to tell stories, and you know, I think they're great. Lore, they're fun. They're cute. So, and I love the the candy stuff. Like Wolf, uh, Buddy making breakfast for everyone in the morning, and it's spaghetti <laughs> with syrup all over it. And, <laughs> and I lo- lunch, and lunch, and uh, that take uh where he puts. Pop, like chocolate pop tarts and M&M's and chocolate sauce and syrup all over the pasta and then he takes a he like mashes it together with his hands mm. and he's like bouncing <sighs> as he eats it I want to see like when they're done with that take like what Will Ferrell was like was he like oh my god that was too much <laughs> and also there's this joke we have we used to do this all the time like this running gag of like the shaking like Shaking your head with like the yeah, it was a dumb, it was when a dumb his dad, idea. When his dad turns down the spaghetti, he's yeah. like, "Dad, how many scoops you want? Uh, I'm good with just the coffee." He's like, okay, he's just, he just he just like shakes his head okay. like. And same we thing still the, do that daily. Yeah. Almost. Same thing with the etch a sketch list uh, where he's like, <laughs> yeah, "Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah." I think that's such a great little uh, thing that Will Ferrell does in this movie. It's so funny, and then just like the list he has for his plan for him and his dad is ridiculous, and it ends with snuggles. <laughs> so I have it right here. So make snow angels for two hours. Go ice skating. Eat a whole roll of. Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can and then finish up with snuggles. It's <laughs> so funny. And then like when he's trying to drink coffee and he's like trying to force it down, he's like, buddy, you don't have to drink that. It's like, okay. But I know that Will Ferrell got a ton of headaches while on set for this movie because of all the sugar he was eating. I bet. He's like, do you have any syrup? I, I didn't put any out. I think well, I might I have, have some. I have some right here. <laughs> I love the raccoon that attacks him. 
Because he doesn't know what the world's like, so he goes to, like, be, he's like, you need a hug. The one, I think the funniest part about this movie that no one talks about is his journey from the North Pole yeah. to, like, the United States. He just walks in his elf costume. He's, like, on a mountain just walking in his tights. He's just fine. He's walking through the gumdrop forest, walking through the Lincoln Town. <laughs> then he's tunnel. in upstate New York. <laughs> I love how great. They, didn't, they didn't, like, say how he got. They just said they cut from the fantastical setting. And he's just like in upstate New York in the woods. That's, that's all it needs. You don't, you don't question it. It's really simple. And we get the point. We don't need to see like how did he actually do it. I love New York City in this movie as well because they did a great job. Like the fish out of water. What would, what would someone act like if they were a child in New York City for the first time? Like jumping on the crosswalks, eating the bubble gum. But for a lot of these shots, there's actually John Favreau, Will Ferrell, as well as the cameraman. There's just the three of them running around New York City with cash just offering money to people to be in the movie as extras to interact with Buddy the Elf. So a lot of those scenes are actually just like shot, like handheld, just boom, ready to go on a tripod. I think that a clear example of that is when he's hopping across the crosswalk and then he has to turn around because there are cabs passing by. I think that's definitely a real, those are real cabs that he got in the way of and then he just improvised turning around and hopping backwards. So those are, def- those are definitely indications of uh, they were running, gunning it, guerrilla style. And so you can legally do that. Uh, you just can't record people's voices without their written consent. Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't know that. Also, Peter Dinklage has an excellent oh performance. Oh, my God. In this Miles movie. Finch. He plays Miles Finch, the child author who Walter Hobbs, crack team writers, pitched the idea of bringing Miles Finch in here. And he's terrific. It's a great performance. And he just plays it so well, just being unamusing and just being serious as hell. It, it contrasts perfectly with Will Ferrell's comedic performance as Buddy, yeah. the offensive comedic performance, the ignorance of Buddy the Elf, thinking that Peter Dinklage's character is from the North Pole. And I, I mean, it's it's really funny. It still works yeah. today. It's so great. And I get more action in a week than you do in your life. Yeah, it hasn't really <laughs> aged that well. But I yeah. mean, Peter Well, Dinkle- no, when you understand the perspective yeah. of the character, I, I think it has aged well because it's, it's 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 the ignorance of this guy who grew up in the North Pole. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Peter Dinklage is so... It's so funny because he's so famous and we yeah. all know how talented he is because of obviously Game of Thrones and Cyrano and other movies he's been in the last several years. And then to watch Elf and be like, oh my God, it's, it's fucking Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Looks great in that suit, by the way. And if you <laughs> haven't seen it, he was in another movie called The Station Agent where he has a lead role. A co-lead, and he's very good in it before he blew up with Game of Thrones. But That this is, is a really good movie. Yeah, and this is also an early uh, role of his uh, where he just he just steals this. He's in this. He's in five minutes of screen time, but he just steals the show when he's there. Yeah, Station Agent actually came out the same year as Elf. Oh, wow. I don't know if he got any... No, he didn't get any nominations. So he got nominations. Yeah, just nominations for Chicago Film Critics Award. Uh-huh. That's too bad. He's in, it's in, a very good Independent movie. Spirit Award. Yeah. They're usually really good with their nominations, but it's I highly recommend putting it on your watch list. The Station Agent's really, really good. Really terrific. All right, what else can we talk about with Elf as we're running out of recording time? Um, let's see, let's see, let's <laughs> well, see, let's see. I love the snowball fight. Yeah, the snowball fight's when great. He, uh, when his brother makes one snowball, then he turns around, but he has an entire arsenal of snowballs perfectly formed. <laughs> and he, and uh, he just throws perfect line drives at every kid. It's terrific. Some of my favorite and funniest moments are, obviously, uh, Will Ferrell's introduction sitting at the desk when they when we talk about where yeah. he pants to him. Um, the drawback to being a human in an Elf's world and Francisco making breakfast we talked about but also I think making the rocking horse 
and then showing it, and she's like, "You, where'd you get the wood for that?" And it cuts to the TV stand that's in shambles. <laughs> Francisco, you made that? That's fun to say. I love when Will, like the, I love when he walks into the elevator for the first time, and then he realizes he can't keep walking forward. Then he turns left, and then he turns right, and he picks. Then he turns to the door, and it closes on him. And the face, his face is just so funny. I love it. Look, it's and like the a buttons. Christmas tree. <laughs> There's a there's a lot of we actually talked about this recently in a movie I can't remember which one it was right right now but it was made in like the 2000s I think mm-hmm. and there's a ton of post 9/11 patriotism in Elf. Were, yeah. What was the movie we were talking about that I was in? That we watched recently? Yeah. I can't remember. Remember I was like it was written in 2000 Oh, The Departed. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh yeah yeah. A ton of American flags everywhere. This movie has huge American flags in offices in front of the Empire State Building and the Empire State Building lobby and stuff like that. So it really showcased that time. Yeah, 2003. Yeah, 2003. You know, post yeah. it was 2003, just two years later. Yeah. Lots of patriotism. American flags were everywhere. Especially in New York. In New York especially, yeah. yeah. But like you couldn't drive through a neighborhood without seeing an American flag on houses, on bumper stickers, off cars, just on front lawns. They were all over the place. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a little artifact that departed too, like movies in the 2000s that did a great job just showcasing the American patriotism and camaraderie of, of you know standing together as a nation and supporting each other. Yeah, and especially New York City, um, more than any other city, obviously. And I think that it was it's it was something that we saw a lot in films set in New York. Uh, that was, I think, really a great thing to add, and it, it just brought people together in a lot of ways, especially in that time of uh, American history. Mm. But again, the third act of this movie it does lose me a little bit. You know, after the Malice Finch scene, after Buddy runs away. Yeah, I'm just like ah, I don't think I'm gonna make it's it. Because it's a movie. different plot. Yeah, it's a totally different plot. Yeah. I, I I think the character transformation for Walter Hobbs is really sweet. You know, he tells his boss to f off. Basically, gets fired. Up yours, up yours. He's hanging out with this kid for the first. It's the first time he's ever hung out with the son before, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and he finds Buddy, tells him he loves him. He's basically a Scrooge. Yeah, he's the Scrooge archetype. You know, and I I love how he's taking the books back from an orphanage, and the nun is like, what the. <laughs> Children the love opening. the books. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, it sounds like a great story. He didn't but. Pay. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, he he approved the printing of a book that has the the middle scenes uh, un, unwritten. The last two, the last two pages. Yeah, it's just terrific. It's it's a good archetype to have in a Christmas movie. And he changes, and he becomes a good guy. And then yeah. the end of the film, he has his own publishing company. And who's the first author and smash hit? Buddy the Elf is the author of <laughs> Buddy the Elf the book, who tells his own life story and he's yeah. reading it to kids in class. Still wears the outfit. Jovi and him have a baby. She's wearing an elf outfit as well. They're visiting Papa Elf in the North Pole it's with their baby. It's it's really really sweet. It's sweet, yeah. Um, it's it's a sweet ending, but again, it does lose me. But it, it 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 so it's the third act. But then the the resolution's nice. I like the resolution a lot. Yeah, I wish we could just nice. speed up to that because it's <laughs> sweet. <laughs> can, we get, can we get going, guys? We get it. Get the curse of spirit out. Come on, come on. I get it. Curse of spirit. I actually think it's better without any sequels because sequels would I think diminish the the quality of this one because same thing happened with Anchorman where they made the Anchorman sequel and you're like I wish they didn't do that. Yeah. There is one really great scene in Anchorman, but it's mostly the outtakes. Anchorman two. In Anchorman two, that it's mostly outtakes. It's like. It's when he's been gone for a while, and the guys go visit him in like the cabin he's been living in. And then they there's this clip online of Will Ferrell just riffing for three minutes straight, and Paul Rudd can't even keep it together. Yeah, he's on the couch. Yeah, that's I think that's the some of the funniest like comedy I've ever seen in a movie. Like, and it's all deleted footage mostly, but like the stuff Will Ferrell comes up with on the spot is just insane, and just like I don't know how he does it, but he's always been. 
I think that Will Ferrell might be the greatest comedic improviser as an actor in history. His improvisation uh, of lines, of action, of uh, motivation, it really is, in a lot of ways, second to none. And Anchorman is a great example of that. But this is an example of that. This too, with the physical performance. Yeah, and I mean, this is his first leading role, and he yeah. kills it. And again, this is in the pantheon of Christmas movies now, of Christmas yeah. classics. And you can watch it on HBO Max if you want to watch it. Yeah, because remember, it's uh, New Line Cinema, which yeah. is owned by Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, yeah, it's part of that. It's where we watched. Yeah, it. that's what it's called. Yeah. You got anything else on Elf? I love, I love Elf, and I watch it every year during the holidays. It just uh, brightens up my Christmas spirit, and it seems like a, a must watch. Yeah, you're glowing right now. You're I, glowing with Christmas spirit. I, yeah, I got my, I got my sloth outfit. I'm drinking some wine. I got my Santa hat. We made a beautiful Christmas tree a couple weeks ago. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's been a nice couple of weeks. Yeah, and I'm going home to Boston for Christmas yeah. to have a wonderful Christmas Eve at Dad's house, then a Christmas Day at Mom's house. <clears throat> Excuse me, I lost my voice. In this I'll, I'll be missing everyone. Yeah, she's gonna have. It's like the old days. Everyone's coming. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. It's gonna be crazy. Jealous. We have to open up the garage because there's not gonna be enough people. <laughs> <laughs> people aren't gonna fit in the house. Uh-huh. Um, it's gonna be packed. But we hope that you're all having a wonderful week and Christmas is this weekend. Hope you have a wonderful holiday, whichever holiday you're celebrating. Time with loved ones and friends is something to be cherished. So, time off work. Yes, exactly. Time <laughs> off work. There's no school buses around, so I'm happy driving around during the day. <laughs> uh, we, we wish you all the best and a happy new year if we don't talk to you until then. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Happy holidays. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.